This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. This is Jeremy and Eric here with Bucket Talk, powered by Brunt. On this episode, coming from the great state of Maine, we have Jacob Knowles, the Lobsterman. But before we get in, Eric, what's been going on? So exciting times here with fall kicking off. Finally, uh, you know, early September here. Business is starting to really take off and a, a lot of folks are looking for some Brunt. But more importantly than that, my little guy, my five-year-old has actually started kindergarten. So I actually tonight have to go to uh, parents' night. So I'm not going to be on the podcast. We've got Andrew Richardson, who's the newest community member here at Brunt, who's going to be stepping in and joining Jeremy for the podcast. Even better for him, he's actually uh, spent a fair share of his days out on the sea fishing for tuna. So hopefully there'll be some good conversation between a nice lobsterman and a good tuna fisherman and some interesting stories there. But uh, Jeremy, what do you got for us? So to reward our loyal listeners, we're giving $10 off our boots or apparel items. And the code that you could use on our website is lobster10 in honor of our guest, Jacob Knowles today. Let's dig in. All right. We're here with Jacob Knowles. Jacob Knowles comes from uh, Northern Maine and he's a lobsterman and goes by the TikTok handle Jacob Knowles. Jacob, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So me being up in Maine and and we have a guest host today, Andrew, off the docks of Gloucester. We wanted to get down and dirty with uh, the lobster community and kind of shed some light on some of the things you guys go through on a daily basis. So, um, yeah, take us through uh, how you got your start and give us a little background about where you came from and what you're doing today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's uh, plenty to talk about in the lobster world today. Where I started, I guess it goes way back to when I was little. Uh, I started on the boat with my dad basically as soon as I could walk. Grew up on the water fishing for uh, mostly lobster with him. We did a few different other fisheries as well, but lobster was the primary fishery. And uh, I got into my own skiff when I was probably in seventh, eighth grade, something like that. I might have even been younger than that. It was in grammar school. I got into my skiff in Holland with my dad. He'd come with me still and teach me how to do it and on a student license. And then uh, moving into high school, I kept upgrading my boat, started on my own, taking crew. And in high school, I, that's where I uh, had to make the decision, obviously, if I was going to pursue fishing full time or or go to college. And it seemed like I was well situated at that point to move into the fishing industry. Uh, I'd already worked my whole life learning how to do it. it. I didn't see the sense of starting over, trying to relearn something else when I'd spent my life learning that. And at that point, I had a good boat uh, and I had good gear. I moved full time after high school into fishing been a roller coaster ever since then i don't regret the decision uh we'll see in a couple more years if i do but yeah i guess that's basically my background of how i got going awesome awesome that's a good uh background on everything and 
it's a pretty competitive industry, correct? Gear placement and what have you. How did you kind of carve out your territory? Or is it, you know, ever moving as groups open or close or kind of shed a little light on how you get your spot? Yeah. So the territory is it's definitely pretty territorial. Different areas more than others. Some areas are kind of wild, wild west. I was pretty fortunate. I, I'm part of a uh, multi-generation family. So I'm a fifth generation fisherman. So kind of the area that I'm fishing are the area, the same areas that my father has fished and my grandfather and so on. And I was kind of taught how to fish those areas and how to respect those areas and how to respect the other guys that fish it. So it's, it's basically a respect thing. If you have respect, people can work into the territories as long as they do it respectfully. The stories that you hear kind of stem from disrespect and uh, bad history or stuff like that. So yeah, I guess I was pretty fortunate to come in as a fifth generation fisherman and to be able to fish the areas that I have. Nice, nice. Hey, Jacob, it's Andrew here. How about uh, you tell us one of those stories, you know, about somebody maybe encroaching in someone's territory or something. I know we've all heard some craziness, but uh, coming from a fisherman's mouth, I think it would be pretty entertaining. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess to elaborate on it a little bit, I I guess like an example of the disrespect would be somebody with history of keeping lobsters that they shouldn't keep or people kind of make reputations on the water for themselves and uh fishermen are pretty good talkers and rumor spreaders or not rumor spreaders but uh the word gets passed along pretty quick and people's reputation tend to spread so the bad eggs kind of shine the light on on themselves and when they try to fish areas certain areas i guess i, I mean it's a pretty in-depth subject, I guess. Yeah, um, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, but... I, we've all heard the stories. It's interesting, too, because a lot of our listeners know that I was in the Coast Guard. One of the things I did, we we did a lot of northern patrols. And, you know, I was out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and we were up in the parts of Maine. And you're out there, you get on a boat, and the boat smells like bleach. And you're like, ah, geez, you know, these guys are out here scrubbing lobsters. Or, you know, you're just right. like, looking for the people that really hurt the industry. It's a protective community because you guys got to protect your resources. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, nobody cares as much for the lobsters as we do because we need them more than anybody does. Um, And when you hear of a fellow fisherman not respecting that, that's where the bad eggs, um, uh, that's where their reputation comes from. Obviously, uh, fishermen that follow all the laws and feel strongly for them are willing to protect areas from people like that. Totally. You mentioned lobstermen taking lobsters are not supposed to. I mean, I used to do a little bit of lobstering in my free time too, but maybe go through like what a V-notch is and, uh, you know, the size limits, there's undersize and oversize for the listeners at home that don't know. What are the no-nos for lobstering, the big no-nos that, you know, raise red flags? Yeah, we have uh, a bunch of different regulations. We're only allowed to keep a small slot size. Anything under three and a quarter, we measure them from the eye socket down to the back of their shell. So under three and a quarter, they have to be released. Um, And anything over five inches on the back of their shell uh, has to be released as well. Uh, Anything that has eggs currently has to be notched and released. And anything that we catch that has a notch has to be released regardless of if it has eggs or not. So those are kind of the, the main guidelines that we have to follow. I know the answer to this, but um, is there a way for somebody to to do it as a non-commercial? Could somebody go out there and throw out a lobster pot? And how do they go about, you know, I guess, fishing from the shores, if you will, doing a little recreational lobstering? 
Yeah, yeah. Anybody can get a rec license. Um, I'm not super educated on the topic, but I'm right. as far as I know, anybody can get the rec license, and you're allowed five traps, and you have to follow all the same regulations as the commercial guys. But uh, you're allowed five traps. You get your own buoy color. You get your five tags, and you can go set your traps. And you just can't sell them. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting career to get into. Um, for us in New England, I mean. We love our lobsters and, you know, we always have lobster bakes and whatnot. We're just talking about having a a lobster boil here at the garage and doing something uh, along those lines. But um, is this where you want to be? Do you picture yourself owning a fleet or you're going to do your boat with your guys or where where do you picture your career going? So that's pretty uh, cool thing about Maine, actually, is we're limited to owner operator only, which is it's it's designed to keep the big corporations and big fleets out. So it's really promotes small business and it keeps, like I said, a, a large corporations from being able to monopolize bottom in areas. So uh, even if I wanted to run two or three boats, I wouldn't be allowed to because the owner of the permit has to be the operator of the boat. So yeah, for my future, it's basically on my own boat running my gear and yeah. I actually watch a lot of your TikToks. You guys look like you have a lot of fun. I mean, I I actually like the uh the tongue video you did with the with the lobster claw. <laughs> yeah. I'm dying yeah, we, Right. Yeah, we we try to make the best of it and have fun. Yeah. So Jacob, what would be the number one thing you wish you knew back then that you know now? Uh man, that's a that could be a big list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Aside from all the obvious stuff like mechanic work and gear work and trap placement and all of that stuff, that stuff would have been great to know back then. But I guess the the main thing would have been more or less to try to get ahead of the curveball on the regulations and the right whales and maybe get on social media earlier. It seems like the only way we can really fight what's happening to us right now as fishermen is to just try to spread the word of what's happening to us in hope that it helps. Uh, I don't know what else we can do beyond that. And uh, social media is really the only the only outlet we have for that. Dive into the challenges that you're facing. Like you're mentioning that, you know, you want to bring light to something. But for our listeners that don't know, what are you trying to change? We have a lot of challenges. Most of them stem from the right whales. The North Atlantic right whales are an endangered species. And we get the blame heavily for uh, entanglements with them. This is just one one case of what we're fighting, but there's no linked evidence to support their claims yeah. that we pose a serious threat to the right whales. We've been marking our ropes with certain colors for 20, well, as long as I've been fishing. I don't remember fishing without rope markings in our ropes. We mark them with certain colors. So that way, if there's an entanglement, they can trace back where the entanglement occurred. It's just designed to prove whether or not we're guilty or innocent and how much of a threat we actually pose. You bring up a very good point. I did a podcast uh, a few seasons back with uh, Captain Dave Marciano of uh, Wicked Tuna, and he had he had brought up, like, he was very forthcoming in his disdain for a lot of blame and a lot of wrongful pointing of the fingers from either agencies or groups on um, a overfishing over a whole list of things. And what he brought to light was the fact that, you know, 90, let's just call it 99.9% of the fishing community is out there trying to do the best thing to protect, you know, life to protect. And it goes down. I mean, literally goes down to the hunters of Maine or the hunters in, Across the United States. Yeah. The amount of money that they pay towards 
preserving wildlife and species and and everything is there's nobody out there that's championing for marine life or outdoor life than hunters and fishers and it's kind of a bum rap. You're out there pulling from the ocean, but at the same time, you guys are giving back by by doing the right things. Right, right. Absolutely, 100%. I'm definitely there with you. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough situation. Like I said, I don't know what we can really do other than raise awareness on the things that we have been doing for 20 years in our, in our track record and our history that proves that we, I mean, if we were a serious threat to the whale, if we were as serious of a threat as they say we are, then... We would have found, I mean, regardless of the rope marking argument, like the rope marking argument is a very good argument in our favor, but regardless of that, let's just throw that out the window. We would have found a right whale sight unseen, dead or alive, wrapped up in our traps by now in the history of Maine fishery. You know what I mean? Like the lifelong history of Maine lobster fishing, we've never found a right whale wrapped up in any of our gear. Yeah. If we were a serious threat, if there was a serious problem over the last how long we would we would have found one whether it was alive or dead wrapped up in our gear yeah yeah no that's a good point that's a great point it's interesting that the world we live in now the power of social media the power of getting that voice out there i mean these were tight-knit communities they're protected communities fishing hunting doesn't matter but their voice wasn't really heard outside of the town or or the region exactly and especially the lobster community like well, any fishing in general, fishing is a pretty secretive sport, if you will. And lobster fishing, like you say, it was really only known by the state of Maine. Like what occurred in the lobster fishery was pretty unknown to the outside world. Right. Because of the natural, like fishermen are naturally secretive about what they do. It's just how they, you know what I mean? It never tells the secrets. Like Exactly, exactly. So, so kind of social media in the fishing world kind of got a bad rap. And like it didn't belong in lobster fishing, but right now we need it. This, yeah. you know, what I mean? we we have to have it. If not, I mean, it's the only thing we got. Yeah, Andrew told me for those out there that don't really know, when it comes to fishing, I mean, we've corresponded, and I love your timestamps. It's like six o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, right? So mm-hmm. Andrew, when he came on with us right off the boats, I asked him, I go, "Hey, what time were you waking up in the morning to get out there on the boats?" Usually two. Two in the morning. Two or two thirty. Yep. So, what does it look like for a young person to get in the trade? What, what, what would you tell them? To uh, a young person to get into the trade to try to become a captain or to work on the back of a boat? Just, I mean, I guess just starting from the docks to even just how do they get into the trade? I guess, yeah, either either way, to start, you need to get on a boat first. To become a captain nowadays is really tough. They have strict entry requirements where multiple fishermen have to leave the fishery before one can enter. Different zones have different uh, ratios, but overall, it's tough to enter. So would but, you start out as like a sternman or something? So you'd start out on the back of a boat and you'd have to do like an apprentice program and you'd have to log your hours. Your captain would have to sign off for you. You'd get your hours logged and then you'd get put on a waiting list and wait for enough fishermen to leave to move you up the list to get your license. But getting on on as a crew is relatively easy. The demand is like the demand is through the roof right now to everybody's looking for crew. Nobody wants to work. It's the same story everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, people can get on some boats. Uh, if you're starting out with no experience, you can get on to some seasonal boats that are willing to take people with no experience. You might get lucky and land on a full-time boat with no experience that's willing to teach you, especially in today's world. Me, for example, I fish full-time, but I'm willing to take people occasionally that don't have experience as long as they're willing to work hard 
uh, and willing to learn and have a good attitude. Uh, I would say one thing that usually people with no experience end up fighting the most is seasickness and the repetitiveness of the job. It's a very monotonous, uh, repetitive job and it's very physically demanding work. But uh, if you're willing to work, you're willing to learn, you don't get seasick, you can definitely get on a boat. No guarantee your first boat will be will be a great job, but you can definitely work your way up and get to one. Seasickness is yeah, Dramamine in a bucket, right? Yeah, that's that's you... right. I, I guess there's a few. I actually used to get seasick going with dad a little bit when I was when I was a kid. Uh, I, I learned some ways to fight it. The, really, what gets me is not being able to see if I can't if I can't get my eyes out and see something. Actually, even today, I'll get it sometimes if it's if we're riding out in the morning and it's dungeon thick of fog and dark and we have no nothing to see and it's really if it's really rough out we got like an hour ride. I'll get a little queasy by the end of the ride, but really get outside and get your mind busy and do something. And it's kind of a head game more than anything. If you, once it gets in your head, that's all you think about, but you're fighting the elements, you're fighting, you know, being tired, you're fighting hunger, you're pulling pots and you're, you don't get to have that normal lunch break or whatever, but yeah, right. it starts to get dark. You can't find the horizon. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with tuna fishing, I primarily here in mass, we primarily fish from, you know, June, Till we've actually had a pretty good run in December, but then it wraps up usually late December. So with you guys up in Maine with the lobster fishery, what's the timeline for that? Is it year round? Yeah, it's open year round. We do slow down a lot in the wintertime from like December to April. There's still some fishing to be had, but it's pretty brutal. Uh, you got to go offshore and the weather sucks. It's cold. And yeah, I mean, the main part of the season is from April till December or from May till December. And then kind of from December till April, we, we slow down a lot in the winter. It brings me back to the times that we were patrolling in December, January, and you're out there busting up ice just to... Yeah. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> even, even being on the tuna deck, battling a fish in like eight foot seas. Yeah. Eight yeah. seas when it's 20-something degrees out. I mean, it wakes you up. You know, you're the guy on the wheel. You're from my captain. used to be freezing on the wheel. Yeah. So uh, that being said, on your off season, uh, do you unwind? You go snowmobiling? Do you pick up another job? Oh, yeah. How do you relax? You know, what do, what do you do? Uh, well, I fish. <laughs> 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 I keep pretty busy. I got quite a few hobbies. Well, my favorite thing is fishing. Uh, I, I do a lot of flying. I'm a pilot, private pilot as well. So I, I combine my fishing, my pleasure fishing with my flying. So in the summertime, the plane is on floats. Uh, and I fly all over the state fishing for brook trout. And, and in the wintertime, the plane goes on skis and we do some ice fishing. I wasn't able to do it the past couple winters, but I'm I'm hopeful that I'll be able to. I don't know if I'll make it this winter, but next winter, I'm definitely going to make it happen. Um, but yeah, snowmobile and skiing, ice fishing in the winter, vacations. We go to Florida a bit and somewhere warm for a few weeks. Yeah, I keep pretty busy through the winter. If, if you don't keep busy in Maine in the winter, you lose your mind. It's actually been a, uh, pretty rough the past couple of years, actually for, for a long time. I mean, I go out on Sebago in the in the wintertime and it hasn't froze over. And uh, It's brutal. That's why my ski flying has been impacted. Is, is I'm on a coastal pond. And the coast of Maine, the winters are not the same anymore no. as they used to be. The ocean keeps the coast warm and we just don't get the ice or the snow to do ski flying anymore. So we're actually working on, uh, my dad's got a piece of land he's putting a grass strip on. We're going to 
be able to get back on skis, hopefully, not this winter, but the next winter, hopefully. So we'll be able to fly out of here on wheel penetration skis, which are skis that have wheels in them, uh, and then fly north where the ice is. How'd you get your pilot's license? When did you start flying? Like, how, how did this all come about? It actually, it started with my grandfather later in life, actually. He wanted to become a pilot, uh, but he didn't want to drive back and forth to the airport uh, and do the schooling all alone. So my dad was like, I'll go with you. I'll drive you back and forth. And I'll sit through the ground school with you. And so my dad took him to the ground school and my grandfather never actually ended up finishing it, but my dad got hooked on it. So uh, he ended up finishing it, getting his pilot's license and he got a plane and I was young when he got his first plane, but I grew up flying with him and I was hooked right from the get go. That was my favorite thing growing up was going flying and ice fishing up north. Any adventure that involved the plane I was in on, and uh, that's not changed right till today. It's my passion. Dude, that's awesome. Awesome. It's actually been great to get to know you. I mean, you definitely brought a light to the lobster community. Um, Definitely show how to uh, have a good time outside of work. I mean, I wish I could fly a plane. I actually, I, I'm sure the world doesn't want me to fly a plane. So <laughs> just, put it, just put it that way. But uh, no, definitely, definitely pretty interesting conversation. I want to give you this time to either, you know, if anybody wants to know anything about the lobster community or any things that you support, any initiatives that you guys are doing for the lobster community, where could they find you either on social media or a website or whatever and get to know a little bit more about you? Yeah, so I guess the main place to learn about me is uh, TikTok and Instagram. Definitely on TikTok, I come up as Jacob Knowles. And uh, my I guess my Instagram is linked in my TikTok, so you can find me through there. My TikTok is all about lobster fishing and what we do in our efforts to, to keep it sustainable. And basically all, all about lobstering on TikTok. And then if you go over to my Instagram, it's a little bit more about my personal life and my hobbies and stuff like that. You know, if there was any initiatives or, or anything that, that you support to protect the lobstering community or? Yeah, there's a few. I'm not super involved in them, but there's the MLA that helps support lobster fishermen and the MLMC, which is the the marketing collaborative. And I'm not super informed on either of them, uh, but I do know that they help support the lobster fishery and spread the word of what we do. Um, I know that the MLMC is currently doing a petition uh, in protest of the lobsters getting red listed. And that's, that's a pretty big petition. There's, they got a lot of, I think last I checked, they had, uh, almost 15,000 signatures on the petition, uh, which is a huge help and they're working effortlessly to spread the word and spread facts about what's actually happening here. Hell yeah. Well, um, I wish you a safe, uh, journey on your next, uh, lobster outing and, uh, you know, catch a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for being on. Hey. As a thank you to Jacob Knowles, for the folks out there, remember to use the code LOBSTER10 on your next purchase of boots and apparel.